is uh, it's, uh, French, actually. I think it's kind of evolved over the years, but uh, back when I was a kid, I went and visited uh, a place in Indiana, Mont yep. Montpelier, Inti Indiana. Right here. Montpelier, Indiana. Yeah, anyways, yeah, we had, uh, I met relatives, and they took us to a, a grave site where my ancestors were from, like, eight, the 1800s. Some of them were, you know, died in, like, 18 whatever. And, right. Uh, so that's where I discovered the history of uh, our family. Because I just, you know, we don't really have, uh, it's just, it was me, my dad, my brother. And so I didn't really know, you know, anybody else. And my dad did some, some searching and found these, you know, people that were connected to the family and yeah. they invited us out and we went through this whole whole thing. So yeah. Anyway, French Argonauts they were called. So Argonaut. I have no clue. <laughs> I just remember that from a kid. I thought it was like some kind of warrior, so it sounded cool. It sounds like, dope. I was right? like, yeah, I come from French Argonauts. Yeah, I, yeah. It could be a bunch strong, of nerds, man. you know, for all I know. But that's yeah. hilarious, yo. Yeah. Uh, Argonaut, I found out my last name's Flowers. Yeah. And uh and I was like, man, like my, my dad was a like my, my family like they were like florists, you know. And then yeah. I found out that uh, it comes from the French word flower, which means archer. Oh. So, you know, in Game of Thrones, we was, yeah, we yeah. was at the top with the with shooting the – I was like, all right, I can <laughs> roll take, with yeah, that. You know that. what I'm saying? No, that's I'm good, like, man. yeah, so now I got a little swag behind how I sound like Leo Flowers. You no, know? that's what I'm saying. I'm an Argonaut. <laughs> you're an archer. I mean, we're, that, we're, we're good, I think man. they over here Googling Argonaut right now because I need to know what Argonaut <laughs> means. <laughs> that's what – yeah, that's – Tell me or don't yeah. tell me if it's, you know – <laughs> um, so you grew up with uh, your dad and your brother? Yeah, my my uh, well, my sister who who came later. She she died from a heroin overdose at 21. So um, wow. But yeah, it was it was basically my mom. My mom left when we were real real young. So my dad was a steel worker. Yeah, and you know he's a hard guy. You know, hard blue collar, heavy drinker. You know, didn't say much. Didn't you, say you said much it once. But he would, yeah, yeah. And, and he, you know, he he was at, he, his thing was go to work, go to the bar, go to work, go to the bar. That was his life. And then one day, he got hurt at work. Uh, steel press actually crushed him. Crushed and, like his like, body, like arm, leg his, from here to here. Caught him from behind and crushed him like this. And so he was in intensive care for a year. Didn't expect, no one expected him to live. It's crazy he lived. And then when he got out, he rolled in a wheelchair where he laid flat on his stomach. He rolled like this, and his legs were out here because wow. it ripped all the skin. So he went, he's been through, like, even to this day, it's amazing. You know, when you see him, he's, you know, it's amazing he's alive, but he still deals. Like, if you see his legs, yeah, it's just all the meat back here is gone. All this is gone. And the hamstrings, glutes, hips, gone. all that. Ripped off. And he's still going. Yeah, and, and he's in constant pain, but he's from that, that old school, never, you know, you could be you could be dying, you know, in pain, but you never say it. You never talk about it. He's that, a man. over my dead body kind of mentality. Exactly. So you wow. never know what's up. I, I find out stuff about him from his, uh, his girlfriend. Right. Like, well, he's in the hospital now because, you know. He, he he waited so long, you know. And, and anyway, it's just that's my dad. But we grew up we grew up with that. And then, and I have four daughters, so which turned out to be a blessing, you know. Really? Because, because of how I grew up, you know, my my girls balance you out. Yeah, it, it got me, you know, because I was like, you know, fuck bitches, and you know, just like my dad, like right. they're no good, and you know, I I, I had because my, my mother left, so that was my example of a you know female, and she was out doing her thing. And me, and my, my brother and I knew, you know, what she was up to. She was, 
she was well known around our neighborhood. And anyway, so so when I had when when my girlfriend was pregnant, mm-hmm. I was convinced, you know, it was a boy. I said, I don't need to know. No one is telling me. I already know. Yeah. <laughs> you like I only I only I only pop out boys. That's, that's, <laughs> all, sure. that's all we doing. That's all we producing. That's all here. Argonauts do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, Lauren was born. And then uh then Carissa, then Jessica. Yeah. And I named Jessica, I gave her the middle name James because I was like, All right, you're gonna have to act like a boy or something. So <laughs> Jessica was her middle name is James, Jesse James. <laughs> and is she a tomboy? She was, not anymore though. She's you know, but she's now she's she's nineteen, so she's you know she's got her her man, and they're they're in uh, I think they're in Chicago now. They they bounce around, but uh, and then my my youngest is ten, and uh, I named her Cody, C O D I. But that's you know interchangeable. So now, how did you come up with Cody? Well, it was uh, it was me and uh, my wife at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I knew Cody for sure was going to be a boy because this is my fourth one. It's got to be a boy because right. I'm done with this yeah. whole process. So and you just naming them before you even see the yeah, ultrasound yeah. or anything. I knew you're it. like you're pregnant, Cody. Done. Done. All right. <laughs> so we instead of C O D Y, we change it to an I. You know, so yeah, that's how we're, we're not very smart, but you know, it works. The uh, if we go back to your sister a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, because I know a lot of people who uh, are on I can't opioid. hear you in here. Is this Not, Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, All right. Yeah, I just want to yep. make sure. Um, the, a lot of people who uh, end up on opioids uh, and painkillers, it's usually because of an injury, right? Um, like prescribed by the doctor, back, knee. I had I tore my meniscus in my right knee. I had neck surgery, six yep. bulging discs. I had to fuse together. Gave me a bunch of painkillers. And, uh, and I could see... How somebody could, uh, after a while, you get addicted to it. Is that what happened with your sister? Or was that the trajectory? No, or? it was it was heroin right out the gate. Wow. Uh, my brother, though, who has been a heroin addict for the last two decades, uh-huh. is uh, his started from he was uh, you know he was a construction guy, and uh, pain pills, mm-hmm. then eventually led him to heroin, and of course he lost, you know he had a construction business, lost all that, and. Um, the, 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 he's, what is he, two years younger than me. He looks like he's 20 years older than me, about 70 pounds, no teeth. I mean, if you see the, I mean, I see him, and I'm like, bro, what are you doing, man? So, but they tell me now he's been clean um, for the last two months. Right. But, I, you know, but we've been down this road before. So the challenge is with him and I, we have, you know, we, we were tight as kids, but as I, I had a heart attack from smoking cocaine when I was 17 years old, so I kind of went through this whole process, and in a drug rehab, things turned, started to change for me. It, it didn't change fast, but that's where I got, you know, new information. I got introduced to, you know, a whole different world. I had, I had a guy come in my life that, that, you know, really saw more of me than I saw in myself. Mm-hmm. So things changed for me, but for him, he ended up in prison, and then he gets out. He's, he's, he's on track. He's doing pretty well. He's got this construction company, and... He gets hurt, and that's when the opioids hit, and that became his thing. Eventually, that turned into heroin. Um, he he got into a, a semi truck. He got a he was going to drive semi trucks, mm-hmm. and then in North Carolina, uh, killed somebody in the truck. Ended up back in prison, and uh, when he got out, it was just from there. It was it was downhill, you know, the whole time. And so him and I, he would call me for money, and I'm like, I can't do it, man. You know, we lost our sister to heroin from an overdose, and 
you're on that same trajectory. It's just a matter of time. And I'm not going to be the one. It's going to be the next day. The day I give you money will be the you know the day you'll go and, and kill yourself. So, so we've had this this uh, interesting um, interesting relationship. That, yeah, that's a tough. Uh, uh, situation because on one hand you want to be there for your brother as family you want to yeah. do everything you can for him on the other hand you also recognize that you have to set boundaries I can't yeah. give you everything you're asking for can't do it right and the last the la our last you know real communication he came to my house and we end up in a in a physical alter altercation where you know police came the whole bit and uh and he was out, out in front being taken away by the police. I want to kill you and your family. <laughs> I mean, he just, you know, it, so that was, that was our, what our relationship had become. So, you know, we avoided each other. I didn't talk to him, you know, for five or six years after that. And just now we're starting to uh, communicate again. So a heart attack at 17, though? Yeah. 17? Yeah. Cocaine was my, uh, was my drug of choice. And, yeah. How much cocaine? Uh, Man, was, people do cocaine for... To their to forever, and I got buddies been doing it <laughs> since we were kids, and they're fine, man. Yeah, th this is this is how I roll. Man. You sure it was uh, just cocaine, or wasn't it nothing was, else in no, there? No, we were rock. It was we were freebasing cocaine. You know, it was it was crack. You know, back yeah, then okay. we, it wasn't even called okay. crack when I was doing it. Right. We were freebasing okay. cocaine, so we were that smoking makes it. Sense. All yeah. right. Okay. So I was hitting the pipe, and All right. uh, okay. I I tell the story that look, man, I never missed a night. You know, so it was like didn't matter Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There was never a night that I didn't get high. Consistent. And I, but I had no job. Right. You know, I had I had nothing going on, but right. I always found a way. So it's interesting. The I always say the power of the mind. What you believe you need, you're gonna find a way to get. Wow. And I I believe that I needed to get high, so I didn't. I never took a night off. And then one night uh, in a hotel, it was actually in Milwaukee. I just did an event. Matter of fact, uh, two hotels like like not even a block away from. Where, where it happened. I was in a, uh, a Super 8 in Milwaukee right across from the airport because we, we'd usually go into a hotel. That's where, you know, you know it, just, right. it avoided yeah, yeah. issues with the law. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we would switch hotels a lot. So one night in a, hotel, in a Motel 8 uh, in Milwaukee at the airport all night long, hitting the pipe, hitting the pipe. And then I knew something was up. And I hadn't been to my, my dad's house in forever. Yeah. And I knew something was up, man. I was I was feeling it my heart was going crazy and I was shaking and I, I, I went to my dad's house he wasn't there I, I broke in the house and I went to the room that was you know was at one point a room reserved for me yeah and I laid on that bed and said okay this is it I'm 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 done and then uh two days later I woke up in the hospital and they told me the you know, I saw, I remember a little bit, but not much, you know, wow. and, uh, but it was like, it was two days is when I finally That was came a Pulp to. Fiction moment, man. It was bad, man. Wow. And it was, yeah, that was, that was a low, a low point. And then there was, there were some circumstances, some, some, you know, criminal activities that had happened uh, in, during that same time frame that, uh, so right after that, I end up locked up again and uh, I had to deal with this whole situation right. and go through you know, drug rehab, of course, which was mandated by the court. So I was locked in a facility going through drug rehab. But that, I'm telling you, that was that was the best thing that ever happened to me. How so, man? Because so many people, including your brother, right, has yeah. been through drug rehab. Yeah, what, my brother's several times. What made it stick for you? Like, what was, you were like, oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> well, the seeds were planted there. And so when I finally get out of out of that facility, it was probably I was clean for about eight nine months, the okay. longest I ever been clean since I was I don't know, thirteen years old. Right. 
so I had been clean, you know, for eight or nine months. And then I justify, I'm hanging out with my buddies again. And they're telling me, look, don't smoke it. We'll just do lines, man. You snort it, no big deal. So I went back, and it was interesting how fast. <laughs> I was muscle like, memory. Muscle memory. Man, I, it, was, it was instant. It was, I was back, hooked again, and I knew it. But here was the difference. So this time, I knew damn well what I was doing. Before, it was kind of, this was just what we did. You know, I, I, there wasn't much thought in it. But it was now just a I had, habit. It was something you were already something we always. Did. Yeah. In my now, neighborhood, you were either a capitalist or you were a consumer. Mm. I tried the capitalist part, but you know, I, I didn't. I didn't get that. Don't get high on your own supply rule down too well. So you know, I, I was. I liked the product too much, and and it messed. It, it took. It almost took my life. And then, uh, but now I had the information. You know that was drilled into me. You know, mm. I was locked in a facility. I couldn't go anywhere. I had no choice. I was getting this information whether I liked it or not. And so when I got out. And I was doing it. Now I felt like a loser. Now I'm like, damn, I know better, and I'm still doing it. You know what I mean? It was, it was no long. It wasn't. Not. It, it started off fun when I was smoking. It started fun. It turned into no fun. And then when I went back, it started. At first, it was kind of, oh, this isn't so bad. And then it quickly escalated. And I was like, fuck, I'm, you know, I'm right back. So let's go back to those seeds that were planted. Yeah. Can you can you give us some of those seeds? You know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? I can give you a lot of the the main the main seed that changed everything for me was personal development. A guy named Dave. He was a counselor in, in this facility. He was a former um, outlaw uh, motorcycle gang right, right, right. guy who had cleaned his like life. A Hell's up. Angels type of yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and he gave me a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie. Yes, sir. And that was my first real experience with any type of personal development. You know, I I didn't have a very good relationship with books. Because of school, and I had, you know, I had, well, because when I was 15 years old, I, I, had, I robbed a movie theater, and I ended up, you know, locked in a juvenile detention facility. So I, I spent most of my teen, that, that time frame, you know, almost uh, 16, 18 months locked in a detention facility. How much money did you get, man? Nothing. Because movies I didn't, was only $2 back in the day. I didn't go there to rob it. This is, what, this is how stupid I, I am as a kid. I didn't go there to rob it. I had no intention to rob the place, but I used to... In our neighborhood, our colors were black and red or black and yellow. It was Latin Kings, and we were the Southside Rue Boys, and we were connected to the Latin Kings. And so I wore this starter jacket. I don't know if remember the old school starter jackets. It's, <laughs> I had a Louisville starter jacket, and in the back of my starter jacket, I sewed a towel in it. And I'm a little kid, man. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not built for the neighborhood that I live in. I had a 44 Magnum <laughs> sewed and I, that I put in my pocket that I – made in the back of my jacket. So when I went into the movie theater with my friends, I did what I was good at doing. We were disrupting, it was 1980-something, Troll, the movie Troll was playing, <laughs> to give you, you know, perspective. And we were disrupting the movie theater. They came, asked us to leave. I said, okay, I'll leave. I just want my money back. He says, look at your ticket. It says no refund. I said, well, then give me everybody's money back. And that, you know, was obviously not a brilliant move. And It's a great line, though. <laughs> yeah, the line was great. <laughs> the line was great, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't pretty afterwards, you know. That's so I, uh, so I'm running across. You know, my buddies leave. They run right away, and I'm and I got this guy who's twice the size of me. You know, I'm telling him reach over. You know, because now we're in the lobby, and I'm saying reach over, get the money right. out. He's stumbling all over the place. We're getting nowhere. You can hear the sirens coming. My friends have already ran out the building, and I'm like shit. So I start running, and I'm running across the parking lot. Uh, there's a there was a little uh, it was called 21 below. It was a, a spot for teenagers, like a little party spot. And I, I I knew if I can get to that 
if I get to my spot, I'd be all right. And uh, as I'm running, I'm about there. Squads pull up, guns drawn, and uh, yeah, that was that was the beginning of uh, my incarceration as a young young guy. So and, you uh, can't go to Canada right now, can you? No, Canada's been a very <laughs> challenging place <laughs> for me. Uh, yeah, that's it's it's been interesting. Well, I can I could go now. I could I could go now. Okay. Yeah. Now this. The stuff that I went through, you know, this was uh, a, f a felony arrest when I was 15 years old. So now I'm okay, you know. Okay. Uh, but I, I, it's, I get hemmed up, though, every time. Because mm. I, I was in Canada last year, and I sat two and a half hours in a room. And uh, they, they, just, they just ask you a lot of questions. And, uh, but Canada's tough, man. If you got a DUI... <laughs> You can't. Canada won't let you in, man. You think people think Trump is bad? They, I, yo, Canada don't play. They I do not. Play, I had an orange, and they held me up for like an hour, <laughs> yo. Like true to life. Like, tell me about this orange. Why are you bringing this orange? Into, like, they had questions. <laughs> That's Canada crazy. don't play, man. I went to uh, Israel <laughs> with. She's now my wife. Um, she was my my girlfriend at the time, and her last name is Muhammad. And we were hemmed up. Six hours when we got to Israel, and because of one thing, her last, last name. name, and uh, yeah, they had her in a room. I mean, I went through no problem, no issues whatsoever, and they put her in a room, and I was like, and I and they, I couldn't talk to her. I'm like, what's up? Is she okay? You know, what's going on? And yeah, but they they didn't play there either. So so going back to the seeds that were were planted, what yeah. were some of those tools, strategies, ways of looking at life, like? What did they give you that you're like? Well, uh, uh, first, one of the things that, that he convinced, because I was, I was at this point where, like, what am, what am I going to do? I mean, people like me don't do big things. You know what I mean? People like me, people from my, my pedigree, you know, I wasn't born in the house with the Rolls Royce in the garage. You know, this, this, is, this, is, how, this is what I'm destined to do. I didn't see myself, and I wasn't built to be an athlete. You know, I got my guy over here. Like, you know, he was, he, was, he, you know, he was built for the neighborhood. I certainly wasn't. And, uh, yeah, so I was, I was down on myself, and I didn't believe I could. And plus, in my neighborhood, I was low on the totem pole, too. You, you know what I'm saying? So there was, there was levels there, too, and I'm way down here. To get to here was, was never going to happen. So at that point, I had kind of resigned myself to, look, I'm a, you know, drug addict, loser, gangbanger, you know, reject, all the, all the adjectives that were used to describe me. But Dave convinced me. He says, look, man, let me tell you something. He said, business is your way out. And I never, it never even dawned, my, dawned on me that, because – Business for me was sell cocaine, and that didn't work out so well. But he convinced me business was my way out. He said, this is how you get out. And he said, I can teach anybody business skills. So I can get you books. I can get you in front of people. I can teach anybody business skills, but I can't teach anybody street smarts. He says, you actually have an advantage. Because I kept making excuses, like I don't have an There's no way. He said, no, man, you have something that's, you have like a sixth sense. He says, we all do. People that have been through shit. They, they kind of know. You know when someone's trying to get over on you. You can see things that other people can't see. He says, I can't teach that to a businessman. So if you play your cards right, you could dominate in that area. And he said it to me enough that that seed was planted. Not that I 100% believed it, but it was just enough that I started to pursue it. And from the book, uh, from, how, the, to from the how to Win Friends and Influence People, then came Think and Grow Rich. And, you know, these, these old school classic personal development books I started to devour. And so I got one foot in, my, in the hood, and I got one foot in a, in a book thinking, okay, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something here. And, uh, and eventually I started to, because of that information, 
because he always talked about you know associations. You you know he had this stuff down. It was like you become the the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And he said, tell me what your friends have you reading. Tell me what your friends have you doing. Have you saying? And he'd say, if you hang around five people that cuss, then you're going to be the sixth cusser. You know, you know, he just he kept he just was on me. He, he had these these one after another. Yeah, yeah. Because he boom, boom. he had been reading these books. Right. Right, and I started, right. and then I started reading the books. I'm like, oh, that's where Dave got this from. That's where Dave got it from. And then, uh, and so business became my thing, you know. And uh, uh, but nobody would hire me, so I started off as a janitor. I, I was working as a janitor for General Electric, which which ha- I hated. Right, right. It was the worst. And of course, they treat you like garbage there too. So now I'm again at the low. <laughs> I'm low on the totem pole once again. But now it was like people were like, at least you got a job, man. At least you're doing something productive. You're not looking over your shoulder. Exactly. Right, right. So I was feeling better, and I was cleaned up. I was, you know, I was still, you know, a little bit, but not on the drugs. I gave up at that point. Well, what happened where cocaine was completely out of my life when I was 24 years old was the last time I, had a, I was arrested. And I sat in a bullpen for three days, 4th of July weekend, um, after an altercation with my neighbor. And again, I had a gun, which which um, was I was facing some pretty because of my background. I was facing some pretty potentially some pretty big time. Uh, the only thing that the only thing that saved me in that deal is that they never found the gun, you know, because I knew what was about to happen, and I hid the gun. They never. I was I'm shocked that they didn't. They never found the gun, but I still ended up I ended up in this bullpen, Fourth of July weekend, a room, you know, bigger than this, but with a bench all the way around the room. All the hardened criminals had the bench. I come in. There's no room for me on the bench. I get a seat right on the floor. The one toilet in the room has a leak in it, so I got, like, river view, and I have to sit here for three days. And, and I have a tattoo on my arm now that says, a good man leaves inheritance for his children's children. So what happened when I was being let out of my home, now I have a daughter, two years old, Lauren. She's screaming and freaking out. She doesn't know exactly what's going on. She just knows there's disruption in the house, and Daddy's being let out by police. And I, was, I sat on that floor for three days, and, and, I, and I didn't know where this quote came from, because Dave used to say it all the time. He's like, a good man leaves inheritance for his children. He didn't just say it to me. He just said it, he always said it in front of the room, and it stuck with me. But when I was sitting on that bullpen floor, all that played through my mind was Lauren's face, her crying, screaming, and a good man leaves inheritance for his children's children. I can't even take care of the one that I've got. And for three days, I sat there miserable. And I had an altercation with the police, so I was in there with stitches in my head. So, and I was coming down from all, you know, the, the, the festivities. And I was like, what, what am I doing? And I knew better. That was a different, I knew better at that point. And so I made a decision sitting on that bullpen floor that, you know, that's who I was. That's not who I'll be. And from this day forward, uh, from that day forward, I never, never did drugs again. Uh, never, never participated in the crime, was never arrested again. I, uh, I went through hell getting out of the hole that I had built, you know, that I had dug for myself. And uh, I had a mentor later on in business that said it's going to take five years. And uh, It was, was going to take five years for you to... For me, you know, I had these, this vision now of being, you know, uh, I don't know, real estate mogul was the, the first thing I thought. I think that's what everybody thinks first because real estate, you hear all these people making money, so right. I went into real estate. I didn't really go into it. Uh, I was fortunate I found a guy who was dumping all kinds of ghetto properties which seemed great to me they you know and he this dude financed them and he just didn't want to deal with them anymore he was getting ready to retire and so he he put together this crazy deal for me that that me and a partner that uh never owned real estate in his life but he was a 40 year old guy from england and and i'll never forget because 
I was the one doing all the research on real estate, and I knew all the stuff, and I knew what to do, but nobody would ever talk to me. So I get a 40-year-old <laughs> English-speaking gentleman who don't know shit about business. But his accent His says, accent, right, and he right, dressed right. like he had the vest, and he looked like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we so, had the sweater around the sleeves, <laughs> on the shoulders. Exactly, man. Yeah, yeah. And he did this deal with us, and that deal started spitting off cash flow. You know, so it was, it was still, you know, we still had to collect rent. A lot of it was like Section 8. So we were getting checks from the government, but you we were still dealing with lots of issues uh, because of, you know, the tenants. And, uh, but, and the challenge was he was the landlord, which meant in his country he was the lord of the land. So he would go and take doors off people's house. He would do stuff that you cannot do that's illegal. So I'd, I'd be the one to always go and go talk to the people that want to now kill, you know, Ed Rathel, who was my business partner at the time. And I would be in there, and I learned people skills real quick. But, you know, I, dealt, I lived in these neighborhoods, so I, I was able to deal with them. And I had a lot of my guys from the neighborhood now working for me, you know, helping maintain stuff and keeping the peace with the tenants. But it got old after a while. And I, w- and I was, you know, I was dragging my daughter with me to collect rents and stuff. And, and uh, so she, she got a taste of that. But she got a taste of business, which later on, you know, has helped, you know, a lot. But, yeah, that was, uh, that was my progression. And so I was so sick of it. I was now starting to pull away. So now he had to deal with the tenants. He had to deal with all the stuff. And, and I was just collecting the check. And then one day he made me an offer. He said, look, you're not doing anything. He said, you obviously want out. And I said, I do. And he cut me a check that, uh, that gave me some freedom for a minute to go find something else. Wow. And uh, that was, I was off to the races when I got that, that check. That was, uh, that was the beginning of you know, a whole other chapter in my life that, so then what did, you, what did you transition into from, so you go from real estate and, and yeah. collecting rent. So what's the next uh, I went venture? to network marketing. Um, network marketing? Yeah. Okay. So uh, multi-level marketing, you know, I went to, uh, a guy shows up and uh, tells me there's this, and I didn't know anything, I didn't know what network marketing was. I didn't understand, I didn't know what that meant. But he shows up and he's got this, uh, this satellite. He says, what we're going to do is we're going to pump Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, all these motivational speakers. We have a satellite dish. It was a big old dish, crazy looking thing. He says, we're going to pump these people directly into people's homes. And I can't remember what it was. Like a, it was like 150 bucks a month, which was you know, pretty expensive. And it was one channel. But I, I was on personal development, so I, was, I appreciate it. I'm like, man, I can watch these people in my home. So I had to get up on my roof. It was an old school analog. <laughs> Digital wasn't there yet. So I'm on my roof trying to yeah. find the signal. Finally, I'm yelling in the house. Finally, we get it. But anyhow, we end up putting these satellites all over the hood. The hood was filled with them uh, for a minute. But people weren't maintaining the $150 a month. It was hard for people to justify $150 a month to hear some guy tell you you can be great. Nobody wanted to hear that shit. So what happened, the company gets uh, a deal with Primestar digital satellite. So now we can package this channel with four HBOs, you know, four showtimes. Now it's now game it's game on. Yeah. We weren't selling the personal development anymore. We were selling four HBOs. <laughs> you know that and and then uh, next thing you know, man, the thing it ex- exploded. Up. It blew up. But then uh, the whole digital war start people don't a lot of people don't know the story, but Direct T V came in, bought out Prime Star, uh knocked took our channel out. That, that digital space was, was worth so much money back then, so they knocked that whole thing out. There was all kinds of legal battles going on, but basically our opportunity was, was pretty much over. And then a company called Prepaid Legal uh, made an offer to buy the distribution force. 
And that's when things really started to happen for me. I went in the ring. The four daughters. Four daughters. Now, have you you've been married more than once? <laughs> yes, three. This is my third marriage. Third marriage. Yeah. All right. How old were you when you the first marriage? Twenty. What was I? Twenty-one. And then second marriage. Thirty. Thirty-one. And then this third marriage. Forty-eight. How old are you now? Forty-eight. Okay, so you just got married. I, June 1st, two months ago. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> yeah. Either it's the smartest <laughs> thing I ever did or the, <laughs> or the dumbest, man. <laughs> no. Getting married again? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a slow learner, man, but uh, I'm, I'm young, man. I got a lot of time. See, because I, I have an exact opposite view. It's like um, I, I feel like th- there's two types of – well, there's probably three types of people, but there's a type of person who knows from day one what they want, and it's just – the life is just laid out. And I know yeah. those people – and they, it's just like, it just build, 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 build. Yeah. And then you have those people who, like, um, you have to keep, you keep trying and failing, but you're, like, failing forward. And just like in business, yeah. right, same thing in, in relationships, you know. But we, we don't look at that. We don't look at it like that in relationships. We go, oh, man, this person's not learning their lesson because they've been married twice yeah. before in a third marriage. What are you thinking? But that's how some people learn is, like, you know, I get excited. Like, I mean, yeah. a girl, I fall in love like like that. And I'm, like, I'm talking like, let's get married, let's get a house. Yeah. And then two weeks later, I'm like, you know that thing about marriage? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? So, yes. Um, but, like, you're going all in. I, I just I'm catch it in. a little. <laughs> I go everything I do, man, I'm all in. I'd have been it, it married like 50 me, times. I've, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, I said, I told her, I convinced her that, you know, uh, at first, I was I convinced her that I shouldn't get married, and and she convinced me that I'm probably the guy she should marry, because I obviously know exactly what not to do because I've been doing all the wrong stuff, you know. Because really, in the end, I cannot not blame my first two wives. Yeah. The, fir- the very first one, I was way too young. We were both, you know, from the hood. She wanted to stay in the hood. She did not like uh, the progression I was making. She she it was crazy to me. She wanted nothing to do with it. Wait, wait, that's your first wife or your? My first one. She did not want That's crazy to me, right. It it was like, are you serious? I said, I can't live like this, man. This this place has almost taken my life. I do not want to raise kids here. Uh, I I didn't didn't want nothing to do with it. I was trying to get as far away from that life as possible. But she... She loved it, man. If you if you get around her today, she's the funniest lady ever, but she's straight gangster. Yeah. Like, you know, 48, 9 years old. And I love we, we're <laughs> friends now. But but she's living in the basement of her boyfriend's parents' house, 49 years old. So that so you get a, a picture. This is what how she wants to live. Right, right, right. Not right. not me, man. And so <laughs> <laughs> So what did you learn then from the first two? When you look back and you're like, ugh. Man, so I learned so many lessons. I, number one, I learned, I learned to respect women as my daughters came, because I had this I'm the man, like like my dad. I'm the man, so I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want to do. Uh, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go hang with my guys. I'm gonna do whatever. And that's you know that's there's there should be you know you you figure out there should be some give and take in a relationship. <laughs> if it's always you know me myself and I, that ain't gonna last long. And, and so the first marriage, I, I was just still. Again, I had one foot in the hood, and I had one foot in personal development. So I'm trying to become something, but at the same time, I'm still a punk. You know what I mean? So it was a weird deal. I, it was, it was, it wasn't you, congruent. You still have a lot of emotional triggers, baggage, things. You know, uh, you know, your fa- your yeah. father. I'm assuming it was like probably an abusive 
history there? He was uh, not not necessarily abusive. It was like neglective. Got you. Not present. Mm. You know, I, I remember one time two guys were trying to break in the house. We were kids. They're coming through the door. My dad is on the couch who could protect my brother and I because we're just little kids, but he's drunk to the point where you can't wake him up. So I, and these were the type of, you know, then when my mom would show up, my mom would show up every now and then. She would pop in after, you know, she'd be gone a month, pop in, try to play mom for a little while, and they would fight like crazy, man. They would, they would just be, you know, and, and all the houses are next to each other, so everybody knows our house. And uh, it was just, it was bad, man. It was, that's, I always said, you know, for the long, I never had peace in my house growing up, and then even as an adult, but the lack of peace as an adult was was my fault. It was caused by me. I was in those same patterns. You know, I'm the man. I do whatever, whatever the, you know, I want to do. And, and it was just it obviously. So work. four daughters in a house is nothing. That's, that's quiet to you. Compared yeah, to yeah. You. Yeah, man. There's always, man, he come to my house, always stuff going on. You know, even now they got, now we got the music blasting loud or something's happening, but I, I don't know what I would do if it was, if it was quiet in the house. I'm, I'm, I don't, I, I, I had a, a, a military guy on and, um, he had PTSD, uh, oh. but he had never fought. He was just like a, a I want to say just, he was an operations guy. You yeah. know, he was in a tent uh, coding. He was on the computers. Yeah. But he could hear the bombings, the shootings. And he was also uh, the photographer. So he photographed the guys uh, who who died, the military, the, the uh, soldiers. Oh, man. And um, so he had a lot of guilt, survivor's guilt of like, He's seeing all these guys die, and he gets to live, and he's in, like in his little tent, you know, quote unquote safe. You're still in a war zone. Yeah. Um, and he, when he came back, he couldn't sleep, um, and he was going to therapy, and you know the nightmares and the and the bombings, and um, you know all the alarms going off. And finally, his therapist was like, "Why don't you get a place next to the train tracks?" And the noise from the train uh, is, uh, helps him sleep at night. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? That is crazy. I, I mean, like, you really got to do some out-the-box yeah. thinking sometimes and really get to the source of – and so, so, you know, it's to your point of if it was quiet, you would probably go nuts. I would go nuts. Yeah. I, I, always ha- I always have stuff going on around. I mean, all, I'm always in the mix. Always something's happening. Right. I cannot sit still. Plus, I got ADD and four other conditions, but uh, there's just no possibility of me. I like people talk about retirement. You know, the 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 vision of sitting in a rocking chair, oh, rocking the rest of my life. I have no interest. I want to die doing something. <laughs> you know, I'm going out making something happen. I, man, I, I just I went to Hawaii to go on a vacation. As yeah. soon as we land, you know, we landed like nine o'clock at night, and I'm like. All right, so what are we doing? <laughs> yes. Like, I need are we we getting in the ocean? We jumping out something. of plane? I, I didn't come here to lay in bed. Like, I yeah. can't. I'm not here to drink my ties on the beach. No. I, don't, I can't roll like that. No, that's me, man. Hundred percent. The having four daughters um, and growing up in a house. What kind of? I don't know if lessons are the word. Or what's the philosophy that you have around raising four daughters? Um, for instance, I have a buddy of mine who he has a younger daughter and he's raising her by herself and um he's very adamant about not telling his daughters what to do. Mm. He always is like here are your options, right? And it's a it's a a longer way to go, yeah. but over time 
it comes back because you're teaching your daughter how to think. Yeah. And because you've been so heavy in this personal development, what types of things are you? Yeah, man, my my daughters really have become my mentors. Okay. You know, when I look back, especially Lauren, Lauren was my first daughter. She had it the worst because she, she was the one when I got arrested. And she went through this transition. She lived in, you know, we lived in, in not so nice place. I go on, you know, transportation issues. I remember I used to roll with her in the front seat. I had this Pontiac 2000, two-tone, one-tone rust, one-tone dirt, and there was a hole in the floor <laughs> where you could see the lines as you go down the freeway. I always just, and, you know, we, I wasn't even smart to put her in a seat belt, but I used to always think one day I'm going to be driving, look over, and she's going to be out that hole. <laughs> but, you know, she just rolled with everything, man. And, if, and you see, when you get around her now, she's the sweetest. She's got this personality. And I, and I really believe it's because she went through so much shit with her parents and just watching. She wants peace all the time. She's always, a, she's the peacemaker. And she's a beautiful, amazing kid. And Well, now she's 27 years old. Um, but I learned so much from her later on. Like her, like I didn't know what to do with her. Like if she would cry in the crib, I would just let her cry. I'd be like, I'm going to watch TV. I'd crank the TV up, crank the music up. I was not a good father, you know, because I wasn't equipped. I wasn't prepared. But over a period of time, when I'm I'm starting to change my life, you know, through personal development, and then I, I started reading stuff by a guy named Paul J. Meyer, who later on became a personal mentor of mine. Paul J. Meyer uh, was big on family values and taking care of your family and balance and all these things. And I'm like, okay, so I'm just focused on business. My whole mission is get out of this damn neighborhood. Then I started realizing that the things I'm learning in business, I could start applying some of these same, you know, philosophies in my own house, and I'd have a better house. So that's when things started changing the house. So all of my daughters tell me so my, when my second daughter Carissa shows up we're now we've now moved you know now we're in a, in a better neighborhood it's still not the best but now we're moving into more of a middle class decent area so all my daughters had a different experience so now now I'm also a better father because now if she cries I know that means change a diaper get a bottle uh, I'm progressing mm -hmm. and then Jessica's born Jessica changed everything because Jessica was born with a, a heart problem so she's immediately in intensive care when she's born and of course, I'm freaking out. You know, she's in this box. You know, you can't touch her. Mm. Going through this. Well, anyhow, um, but at this point now, business is starting to to happen. I got cash coming in and uh, nicer cars. Now we're in a, a much nicer neighborhood. So, Je so uh, Jessica now is is living a better life. Cody, she's ten. She's clueless and all this stuff. She grew up on Camelback Mountain out here. <laughs> you know, like in a seven thousand square foot mansion with an elevator. You know, it, it, best of everything. But even all of them, all of them along the, along the way helped me become a better man. What I, what the biggest lesson I learned, here's what I know for sure. Girls today, all of our music, our culture is, is designed to keep them down. There's not much out there. When you listen to the lyrics, I mean, I, I'm in the club bouncing away. They're, they're singing, you know, bitches this and that, you know, they're, they're singing these songs right along with it. And I don't know what it's doing, you know, from a programming standpoint. That's not for me. To, to decide. All I know is when, if you start to dig deep on the culture and the things that we're putting out, it's it's destructive to women. You know, and their magazine covers everything. everything man, go to Instagram. It, all reality think, shows. All, <laughs> Instagram. Show your ass. That's what you should do. I'm like, is this a yoga video? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the workouts are not. It has nothing to do with working out, man. It's like, you know, and. What what I believe is that if we don't take care of the women, mm. 
we're going to have, I mean, the issues we have now are nothing. You know, I don't care about the border. All the, if we don't take care of the women in front of us, if we don't start respecting that and making some changes there, we got issues. I, I had a mentor, Miles Monroe, and uh, Miles Monroe talked about how men, you know, really believe they're the, the head of the household. So they walk around with their chest out, and, and women are designed to, you know, clean the house, do this, do what I need you to do, basically. Um, you know, Ludacris had a song, How Low Can You Go, which was really about, you know, how, how low can you stoop for me, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, and, but Miles Monroe used to say, he said, like, if you had a house, uh, there's zoning laws around houses. And if the shingles are falling off, no big deal. If the windows are cracked, no big deal. But if there's a, a foundational problem, they're going to condemn the house. And he went on to say, he says, look, we have a foundational problem in America, in society in, in general. And the foundational problem is men are not here. Men are supposed to be the foundation holding the family up, holding women up. You know, if, if the woman falls, we should be there. And, 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 and that's, you know, I would have never got, even thought like that had I not had daughters. Because when a boy shows up that looks like me, <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't want you dating my daughter. And so I started thinking differently. And then I realized, man, these, these women are going to have kids, and they're going to raise these kids, you know, one of two ways. These kids are either going to be productive or they're going to be destructive, be destructive right. or, and desperate and all these things were entitled, all these things that we're seeing today that is not, it's just not good for, for any of us going forward. And I don't want to be an old man in this world having to worry about every damn, you know, kid that's out here that's destructive, desperate, you know, whatever, we got to, we, that's where we should be. We, you hear nothing about it. That's where we should be focusing our attention because if we can get that right, then I, I think everything falls in place. It's so true, man. I, I mean, I'm 43 and, you know, it's, uh, it's, I realize the value of what a woman uh, witnessed as a child because uh, that's how she, she's going to try to recreate that in our relationship. Yeah. And I, I never understood that when I was younger uh, of like, you know, point. tell me about your father. And and the way she describes her father is the way she looks at you yeah. without even knowing you. Yeah. She's going to project that onto you. And as soon as I start to hear some, I'm like, oh, OK, this is, you know, and, and, and that doesn't, you know, and a lot of women and a lot of boys even grow up without father. So yeah. we, we have two things going on. We have women who are uh, if they have a father in a home. He's probably not the best example in a lot of situations. And then you have men who, if they have a father, is not. And so we have two people growing up, becoming adults, who don't have an example of what a healthy relationship or healthy communication yeah. is. And so I, I, I guess, the, the, at least to the next question, is being on your third marriage, yeah. coming from the background you came up, the household you came up in, and I know you did a lot of personal development. Have you gone to couples therapy? For at yeah. any point, and 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 if you have, what were those lessons that? Yeah, we we before we got married, you know, I said let's let's go into <laughs> into some therapy before we have issues. You know, right now we're you know everything's great. You know, we're you know three years into our relationship, we're about to get married. You know, let's let's go sit down with somebody. And you know, the the beauty of going into therapy when you're doing well is you can talk about anything. Because if you go into therapy when you're not doing well. If you bring up something, then there's attacking back and forth. So going to therapy, we can start talking about things I had been through and start like, let's, let's shore this up right now. Let's fortify our house. Let's, let's make a pact when it comes to certain things. And that's, how, that's what therapy did for us is that, like, look, it's, it's you and I against the world. 
I got your back, you got my back. You know, let's truth, communication, all the things I lacked in, in my previous marriages. It, you know, I did that with my last relationship also, and my, my boys clowned me for it. <laughs> like, as soon as I saw it, they were like, yeah. yo, you still in that couple's therapy? Y'all just met a week ago, you know? <laughs> Go right and from the club yeah, to, yeah, to yeah, couple's yeah, therapy. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what time's that appointment tomorrow? <laughs> and, uh, uh, <laughs> and, but I tell you what, man, like, even though it didn't work out between me and her, uh, I learned so much because it's, it's exactly like you said, when you go in before you have to go in, it allows you to be much more objective about uh, what you discuss. Yeah. And it's and it's because uh, I have friends who go to therapy and it's after someone's cheated. It's after. Um, they already got one foot out the door, and they're like, well, it's just, it's like, let's just try this and see if it's, but you're already, like, looking at another house, you're following the paperwork, you're, you're done. Yeah, you got a girlfriend. Yeah, already. you already got yeah. a girlfriend. <laughs> you done already decided how you, how you, you know, you got your exit strategy yeah. already. I did that. I did that. That's how, you know, I knew that that well. You know, my, my second marriage was, I was married to a strong, you know, powerful woman. You know, yeah. who's, uh, who's done very well in her, in her life, and. But by it got so so far gone. You know, she was living in Australia. I said, I'm not living here anymore. I came back, and I'm in the club party, and I'm doing, you know. So then we decided to do therapy, but it was already, like you said. Too late. It was too late, man. The, I, I, I was like, I'm done. I'm having way more fun over here. And so I mentally I had checked out of the whole deal. and didn't matter what happened in therapy at that point. Was there, was there anything that you've learned in therapy that uh, – that it's changed how you communicate with your wife or your, your daughters? You know, I've learned responsibility. I think in all of these situations, from therapy, from drug, th going through the drug therapy, through relationship, all this stuff, the biggest thing I got out is responsibility. Like, because I didn't, I never took responsibility. Like, if, there's a, if there was an issue, like the, I, I dropped out of high school not because of me, because of my teachers. I had legal issues not because of me, because of the police. You know, I had... Women issues because of my dad. Well, we can go on and on. It was never me, never. And I was just arrogant enough in a, in a weird kind of way to think it has to be you. So in, anytime I had issues in a relationship, it's not me, it's you. But what therapy did for me is, you know, you when you have a third party that's not biased, they'll tell you, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> hold up, time out. This is you, man, 100% you. And I'm like, oh, shit. I, ain't I paying you? I'm the one paying you. You tell you don't want them to say what I need you to say. Yeah, well my, all my all my ex girlfriends and wives have been saying, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that for me it was responsibility. And then, I, but I learned from there, even in business, um, the more responsibility you take, the bigger your business is going to be. So I take responsibility for even sometimes things that I just I know I have zero to do with. But if I'm going to lead an organization, I'm going to say, look, if 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 it's if, if this person's not producing, in the end, it's going to fall on me. If this isn't happening, it's falling on me. You know, I, I got myself in a couple of lawsuits, and it was easy to say it had nothing to do with me. Well, you know, there was when I looked through it, I, I, there was missteps, things I could have did that would have maybe avoided that. So responsibility was the biggest thing. Once I started taking responsibility, my life got better. Blame is a, blame is a disease, man, that's... I, I, it's, I think it's crippling, especially young, young people today. And, you know, and it's so funny because, uh, you know, we know that through the personal development and then you watch uh, the news and politics and it's oh. just everybody blaming the other side. Yeah. And it's like these lessons, <laughs> and that makes it hard as a parent yeah. because you're trying to instill these lessons in your children 
and then they cut on the TV, they cut on the news, and they're hearing the exact opposite. opposite. They're like, but, grown but people. these are grown people who went to Harvard, who went to <laughs> Yale, who went to Stanford, who had two parents, who come from money, who, who should know better. And, and they're going home teaching their kids to do exactly <laughs> the opposite of what they're doing. Their kids are, they, they're in their mind, liars. They're all liars. We're telling them to go to school, get a good education, do all this stuff, so we can end up like you? <laughs> Hell no. It's like that limited vocabulary. It's like, I know you know bigger words than that. What are you doing? It's so ridiculous, man. And that's why I tell people today, there's three things I don't talk about. I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about politics. And I don't talk about football. Because people are fanatical, crazy. You know, if you, like, po politics is the easy one right now because – if you're for Trump, half the world's against you. If you're with Trump, half the world's against you. I mean, you can't win there, and it's no longer, you can't have a debate. Like, you and I couldn't debate our political, I mean, we, we probably could, right. but most people, you, if you just say it. it, it just, uh, I mean, because, you know, even as a stand-up comic, like, all, the, all, my, all my comic friends were like, how do we talk about it without, you know, inciting a riot? Because people just <laughs> oh, get yeah. triggered by the word Trump. And Man. So you got to be, you got to like, uh, the dude who's a little orange, you yeah, know, like. He gives you a lot of material. That, there's a, a lot of material you guys you guys get from this you, political you're definitely scene. walking on eggshells uh, yeah. trying to. And it is sad because uh, people have lost that ability to have discourse. It's like we should be able to have opposing views. Yeah. But still hold space for each other to 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 understand each other versus I'm right and you're wrong. That's you and that's and that's what it drives me nuts. It's it's not always black and white. Right. There is sometimes some middle ground, and and you know I think I think you know our, our political leaders some on some on the left have some good points, some on the right have some good points. But the challenge is we can't. We'll never. There's just too much. This they all need therapy. They all need <laughs> to go into some couples therapy and, and work this shit out because <laughs> we're getting killed out here. One of my favorite shows is uh, Billions. You ever watch? Yeah, Billions yeah. On my Shelter? guy owns the house that uh, that Billions was uh, produced. Oh, where? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh, if you watched the last season, there was uh, you know like they had the the the, the coach the, um, the, uh, the the mental coach there uh, on site who coaches the. Um, the employees through tough times and stuff. But then uh the the one guy brought in uh, a cuddle coach. He just he just brought in his lady <laughs> just hold him for like a half hour. You know, that's <laughs> I think a lot of these dudes need hugs, man. They need hugs, man, for <laughs> sure. They need some hugs. Yes. Bring in some cuddle coaches. <laughs> so you you started off with uh, you know, uh, a little real estate, collecting yep. rent, and then you transition that into network marketing. What are you doing now? What does the empire look like now? Because you got an yeah. elevator in the house. So, <laughs> yeah, we've you know, the 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 financial side is easy to see. Which which now, because I used to you know I had all the cars and all the stuff that you know you thought you wanted. It's not that it's not impressive. At a certain point, you get to a point like eh, it's nice to have. Don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, uh, I like I like nice things, but it's not it's not who I am. It used to be I was getting the money so I could show you. I don't even know you, so I can show you. Look at look at my Rolls Royce, you know, and, and you know whatever it, it, it was it was misplaced values. Um, but now now I'm earning I'm earning money for fulfillment. I'm earning money for philanthropy. I'm earning money, and, and a lot of the money I'm earning is because I'm focusing on the people that I'm raising up now. It's about, because I tell people, I, I went through three stages. The, the early stage in business was about success. Success was all about me. Get out of debt. Get out of this neighborhood. 
It was me, 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 me. I got to be successful. I need rims on my truck. You know, me, me, me. The second, it's the second stage was about significance. It was, it was about um, adding value to others. I started learning from mentors. Okay, you, okay, great. You're successful now, but congratulations on that. But how many people have you helped? I had, I had a mentor came to me, and that's what he said. He said, well, that's great. You know, congratulations, you know, Sparky. But how many people have you actually helped? And I was like, oh, shoot, <laughs> myself, basically. And, and then I learned, and it was Paul J. Meyer, I learned, uh, and John Maxwell, I learned significance is about adding value to other people. So I started realizing people were stressed about phone bills and, and car payments. And so I started working with people based on, let me help you pay your mortgage. I'm not going to pay it for you, but together, you and I, putting together a plan, it'll be easier for you to pay your mortgage, that type of thing. Then for me now, the next stage is legacy. It's... Uh, it's what are my children's children going to say? And I don't want them to just say, well, Dad had a bunch of money. You know, I, I want it to be about, you know, what I did to contribute. And so now I build, you know, we have a company called Euphoria, which is a nutrition company that we do a DNA-based, uh, you do a swab, and then based on a DNA report, we'll create a customized nutrition supplement for you. You know, one of 400 million possible variations, and each one is unique. But... It's an amazing product, ridiculous. It's a game changer. It'll disrupt the nutrition industry. We just launched in January. But the bigger thing for me is developing the affiliates in the field that will market the product. That's what gets me up early in the morning. That's what drives me like crazy. But me just taking a, a great, you know, what I believe is, I, I believe the most significant nutrition product on the planet, that's great for me. But, but driving and uh, empowering and equipping a force of, you know, and we got a lot of young guys now coming up and they're learning this stuff and they're, they're learning leadership, they're learning team building, learning how to scale businesses, learning branding and, you know, all these different things that we're now teaching in our, our environment. So that's what I'm doing. And I also have a company called Build Your Empire mm -hmm. and Build Your Empire is where a lot of people know me from, you know, from our Instagram has got like, I don't know, a million followers or something, like a little over a million followers. And, and we showcase world-class entrepreneurs, but at the same time, we're raising up the next generation of world-class entrepreneurs. I, I, I just believe that these, these young people, they hold the key, man. They hold the Absolutely. key to solving all these challenges that we're all fighting over. And, uh, and so that's what, that's what I'm doing now. Man, that sounds great, man. John, uh, damn it, I'm going to butcher your last name. Malat. Malat. Yes. M-A-L-O-T-T. They How spell it wrong and they call me Mallet. Like, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be troubles. It's <laughs> yeah. gonna be trouble. <laughs> He's gonna want all your money. I, I don't wear I, I, I don't I, wear I, the starter jacket I, anymore. I want everybody's man. money back. <laughs> I took the starter what, jacket where off. Where can left people the gun reach out to you, find you, learn more about what you're building and, and your mission? Yeah, man. Yeah, hook up with us if you guys got. Uh, you know, we're always looking for good people to uh, that that want to inspire, empower, help others, or even people are looking. You know, for for that they need if they need you know some some good people in their life to teach them entrepreneurship. And, and, and just life skills in general. They can find me. Uh, the best place is Instagram. That's where I, I tend to spend a lot of my time, okay. invest a lot of my time. What's your Instagram? It's uh, uh, John, J-O-H-N dot Malat, M-A-L-O-T-T. -T. John right. dot Malat. Find yeah. me there. Fantastic. Um, and I also just want to highlight something that uh, seems to be a reoccurring theme in, in, your, in your success. Mentors. Yeah. You have, you've had... It sounds like, uh, just from the conversation, four to five, maybe even more yeah. people who have uh, mentored you. Yeah. But not only did they give you advice, you took it, right? Because uh, I've, I've given people <laughs> advice. And 
And then they ask me for more advice, and I go, wait, did you even do the last thing I told you to do? And if the answer is no, we can't even have a conversation. Yeah. So not only did people take you under their wing, like you, you listened and then you acted on that. You know, and that's very powerful. Um, let me ask you this, too, and I, I, I'm always, because uh, I have the longest goodbyes. Um, what are you <laughs> reading right now? Uh, I, I'm revisiting a book called Atlas Shrugged, uh, which I've read probably four times. Atlas Shrugged was a book written in the 1950s by Ann Rand. Right. It's about a thousand-page book, and it basically poses the question, like, like the book poses the question, what if all the entrepreneurs disappeared? Because, you know, there's this kind of movement against entrepreneurs. If you're rich, you got to be no good. But what we fail to recognize, sometimes the rich people got rich because they created a product or a service that society needed, and we don't think about that. And it, and it talks about, like, if the politicians took over the businesses. And, it, and it's an interesting story. I, I tell everybody you should read the story because it, it, it poses, uh, there's a whole, there's like a 10-page chapter on money being the root of all evil. And, a, and a, an entrepreneur, a fictional character, does five, ten pages on, on what money really is. And... Uh, it's, it's amazing. I think everybody should read it because it, I think it's more relevant today than it was in 1950. Mm. And when they were talking about the, the barons that were building the railroads and, and the steel industry and things like that. Today we've got more and more people coming up. People becoming billionaires, it seems like, every, every week now. Mm. And we have this, this, there is, there is this kind of movement against these guys. Now, I'm not saying that rich people are great and they're all good. Again, what I was taught is that it, it's service to many leads to greatness. And a lot, of, a lot of these entrepreneurs, when I meet them that have big money, I start to discover that these people are trying to find ways to serve humanity or find solutions to people's problems. At one time, we didn't have a chair. The problem was I got to stand or sit on a damn rock. Someone made a chair. Well, if a whole bunch of people come and buy that chair, you get rich from it. Does that make you a bad person? Right. You know, and, and that's so people are judging people based on, on their economic status, not on who they are. And Paul J. Meyer was a billionaire, and when I met him, he was giving away 50% of every dollar he made. The guy was 80 years old, climbing mountains, scuba diving, living this amazing life, family man, the whole bit. And then, like 15 years before, the last 15 years of life, he was giving away 100%, but he woke up every day, worked as if it was, you know, his... Like, I've got to go to work because I need to make money to give it away. So he was giving 100% of his money away at the end of his life. And then when his uh, daughter was getting married, he went to his son-in-law and he said, his name was Kevin Ray, he said, Kevin, I'll make you a deal. I'll teach you everything that I know, but you've got to sign a contract with my attorneys that says you'll give up 50% of every dollar you make from here on out. The kid's 20 years old to learn from me, but 50%, and we're going to give that money away to good causes, charities, things like that. We'll work that out. Kevin Ray signed the deal today. Kevin Ray is one of the richest guys I know, but he, he gives away 50% of every dollar he makes. He, he lives, you know, pays taxes on 100%, gives away 50% of what's left, and then the other 50% he lives on, he's still worth millions and millions of dollars. What's the biggest financial mistake you see people making today? Uh, buying Ferraris and Lamborghinis and, you know, stuff. Stuff that they don't need. Buying stuff that makes them look rich, but it ma actually made them broker. Now, what's this crew you rolled in here with? Are you rolling <laughs> here deep? Man, I thought it was you yeah. in a rap video or something. No, what's man, we, I, like, I like to roll. Look, look, young guys, they make me look younger, man. No, these guys are. <laughs> Who you got with you? Uh, we got uh, Mason. Mason I met at uh, a Warren Buffett event. I was speaking at an event in Nebraska. That's where we met, right, at, uh, the first time we met. And he's connected to one of my business partners, uh, Casey Adams. And, we, and I forget. 
So he's a football player for uh, Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska as well. You can see him, you know, big dude. But these are young, young superstars, entrepreneurs coming up. Uh, work with me in the company called Euphoria, the gotcha. uh, the nutrition uh, right DNA nutrition company. So helping to you know raise this next generation, teach them you know how to you know be financially free, have money and have time freedom. You know, right? That's the difference. Time is everything. more valuable than yes, the sir. money. Because you have four daughters, man. You got to be there. You got to be there. I, I tell you know, for me, it's it's sleep until I'm done sleeping. Mm. It's you know, take my kids to what well, used to be taking to Chuck E. Cheese on a Tuesday afternoon. You know, because nobody's there on a Tuesday afternoon. Right. You know, it's uh, uh, like my ten-year-old. You know, being there when she gets home from school, being there when she, you know all these things that that we got we got TV raising kids or not now it's social we got Instagram raising kids right. and YouTube, right. which right. is. You know, TikTok is a, mm. an interesting app that these kids are cussing away and, and, and you know, shaking their, their butts at 10 years old. I'm like, God, stop, please. <laughs> so, you know, you got to step in. John, thank you so much, man. You're truly an inspiration, man. I'm glad you joined us here. Uh, the last question, very yes, last question. I always feel like there's somebody listening in who uh, is on a precipice of a completing suicide, of taking mm. their life. What would you say to that person before you kill yourself? Man, I, I tell you that that there's everything that you want. You, for me, I was there at one point. You know, I, I I didn't go to commit suicide, but I smoked cocaine to the point where I gave up. I was done. I owned nothing at that point. I had the shoes, the the jeans, and the sweatshirt. That's all I had left in the world. There was there. I had nothing. So I was I was like ready, and it was it was someone else showing me that that I had. Uh, I had something to give, that I had this potential inside of me that was there. I just didn't know how to access it. So what I would tell them first off is talk to somebody, you know, because we talk about mentors all the way through here, and mentors finding the right people that really did care. There's people out there that really do care, and they will show you the way. I had I had millionaires and then billionaires come into my life and showed me the, the blueprint <laughs> for success with no, with no expectation of, of anything. So there's people out there that, that will, you know, get you down that path. doesn't matter what it is, you know. That will give to you with nothing, with no expectation. No expectation. They just want to help you out. They want help. Yeah. And, and it's hard to see that sometimes when you're, you're depressed or you're alone. Because when you're alone, you feel like you're the only one. You know, you're really not. There's, there's so many people right now that are, are hurting. And you're not alone, man. There's, there, there's a lot of, and I, I fight it every day. People don't realize even to this day with all this, this stuff, I fight my own mind. Every day I have to do this mental battle with myself. What's that? What is that? What's the voice or what's that the I'm, That I'm not worthy, that I'm not good enough, that uh, I'm no good. I mean, I, all the stuff that was, that was programmed into me for so long. It's hard to get that out. I'm 48 years old. I was told, you know, I was a loser when I was 12 years old. I still can hear you know, the teacher's voice. You know, I can still hear, you know, the things my mom and the things my dad would say. That stuff stays with you, man. It's hard to push it out. And you, you got you to gotta get around, in my opinion. For me, I, all I can tell people is, is I, f I got a mentor. And the, the mentor changed everything. And you don't know who that is. I didn't think it was going to be some guy who was in a motorcycle gang at one time. You know what I mean? That, who would have thought he was my angel that, uh, that, that got me thinking differently? And then that led me to another one. Once, see, the thing is, it's like you go up a, a set of stairs, and there's a door there. Mm. You got a decision. You can go through the door or not. You know? So I open the door, and it's like, oh, shoot, there's more stairs. I go up the next step, but now there's two doors. Right. So over a period of time, you start getting more choices. For me, when I was struggling, it didn't seem like I had choices. 
it seemed like the you know for why am I even here? The best it might be better if I wasn't here, and that was my own mind playing tricks on me. And it was other people that said, "No, man, you bring massive value." And today, looking back, if if you'd have told me this is where I would be, if you'd have told me this when I was 15, when I was going into the Milwaukee County Detention Facility, the juvenile <laughs> facility, I'd be like, "You you have lost your mind. There is no possibility that's me." But looking back, you know, my lives were changed because my life was changed and saved. I mean, it's, it's countless. And, and, and now we count it based on how many millionaires we created or how many six-figure income earners. But I can tell you how many people are home with their kids today. You know, they're, they're, they're not millionaires, but they're, they're living a life that is... Very rich and fulfilling. Right. Yeah, I got a friend who's got 12 kids. And, you know, <laughs> but they're the, they're the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. Their family... Uh, my, my guy, his name is Jesse. He lives out here. He, he owns a heating and air conditioning deal. So he's not, he's not, you know, rich, but he's richer than most people I know. Hap, some of the happiest kids. I mean, and anyway, so I met him later on through all these series of different things, and we've become great friends, and his kids play with my kids. Anyhow, there's just, there's so much more than what's in front of our face that we can see. That's beautiful. And, and, the, and the beauty of your success, too, is that it gives guys like Dave who was your first mentor, yeah. it, it gives him power and fulfills him and enriches him and keeps him fighting the good fight because I'm sure Dave wakes up like, why even talk to these kids? You yeah. know, I just talked to this kid and he's back in here again. I talked to that kid and he's back here again. And then a guy like you, he goes, ah, yeah, there was that John. This is why I do this it. This it's worth it. And so that's your way of, of paying him back too of like taking what he, he gave you and you, and you and you run with it and uh, – and so that he could continue to give to others. You I know? love it. Well, I love what you're doing, man. I didn't, I didn't quite understand at first, you know, what, what this was all about. Yeah. But no, now knowing, I mean, this is right up my alley, you know, Thank helping you, someone coming out of their funk or what, you know, whatever. It's, I call it a funk, but when you're in it, it's way more than just a funk, man. So much more. And, yeah. and, and one of the reasons why I started the podcast is I played football at Ball State. I was a defensive tackle. And – uh, I hurt my neck, uh, woke up paralyzed twice. And, you know, on the painkillers and, you know, I was I was in that place, in a very dark place for a while. And I heard uh, Rashawn Salam, who played for the Chicago Bears. Yeah. He was a Heisman Trophy winner and then uh, played for the Bears. And then he took his life at the age of 30. Ugh. And it always bothered me of, like, how did this guy who had the career that I wanted and was like, yeah. I'd be happy if I had it. How could he take his life? Yeah. And uh, I ran into a friend of mine who knew him. And I was like, you got to tell me what happened. He goes, Rashawn didn't know how to take care of himself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. It made me realize there's just so many people out there who don't know how to take care of themselves, who don't know how to ask for help who don't know, who think they're the only one going through what they're going through. Yep. So I was like, the only thing that connects us are stories. Stories like yours, stories yep. like mine. And, and then people go, oh, if this person went through all that, and then I can, I can thrive also. So if another man, uh, you know, if another man or another woman can do it, then, then we can do it. 
Absolutely. And, and I'll just tell everybody, look, we're all messed up. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't met anybody. I used to think all these people that were in the suits oh. and they were doctors. I'm like, no, they're more jacked up than I was. You know? Right. I'm like, no, that's oh, like, some fake that's facades, bro, I tell yeah. you. Yeah. You know, it's the, these people who are super successful, you think they did everything right. No. But they screwed up as many Man, times. Man, they're more dysfunctional <laughs> than you and me, for sure. I can tell you that. That's... Uh, I, I used to look up, I used to think, oh, my God, everybody's like swans on the lake, and I'm the damn ugly duckling. You know, how am I ever going to compete with this stuff? Then you find out, no, man, they, it's, it is all, I say, fake facades you could break with a rubber hammer, man. It's a bunch Boom. of BS, it's man. So everything's so fragile. Because we're comparing a lot of times to that stuff. Instagram's got oh, us Oh, Instagram's like, killing oh, us. Oh, man, I'm like, <laughs> like, I see the rock. And I'm like, man, I'm like laying in bed looking at the rock working. I'm like, man, I got to get up oh, and go. See. This dude... <laughs> Yeah, the rock. Everybody, man. I look, man. I'm not built for this stuff at all. I want to look like the rock. I I, I used to take the health uh, the health magazines and I would take my uh, cut off my head like a picture of my head and put yeah. it on their bodies and you know that's the body I'm gonna have. But then you know you got to go do the gym and all that stuff. Yeah, so that, yeah. Uh, you know you got your kids, man. Your kids don't care if you got a six pack. Nah, they don't want. care. As long as you can get on the floor and they can get on your back and you can, you know, you're good. You're good. My buddy just told. It's funny you say that because just yesterday a good friend of mine said, you know, they they went from this this massive massive house into a smaller house. You know, some changes had happened in his life, and he said, man, you know what? He said every day I'm stressed out. I'm I'm feeling depressed. I'm not feeling like a man. He said, but he, his kids think he's the greatest thing ever he says they don't even he's like it's they don't even realize like to them they ain't they haven't missed a beat you know it's i said that's it because they don't care about all the stuff that we put so much value right. on they don't give right. a shit about right. it john thank you brother thank you man <laughs> this is great this is powerful it was valuable uh for the listeners out there once again this is not a substitute for you going to therapy for you talking to no. someone call the 1-800-SUICIDE number Call uh, the Trevor Project. Uh, you can talk. You can text. You can Skype. Uh, talk to a stranger. Talk if you're on an elevator. Somebody talk, standing next to you. Just call me. Just call them. My, my boy John. Hit him up on Instagram. Hit me up. Uh, don't call me though, because obviously. But uh, <laughs> you know, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate you. You have a purpose. There's a reason you're here. We will talk to you soon.